Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In this episode of The Rising Podcast, opera singer Deborah Cheatham speaks with journalist Daniel Browning about The River Sing, a large-scale sonic artwork made in collaboration with Byron J. Scullin and Thomas Supple. The ancestors that I speak of on the banks of the Dangala had sung their songs, conducted ceremony, danced their dances, painted their knowledge all along the side that river, that river system as it flows through the Barma Forest, which is really the lungs of, of Victoria, the largest river red gum forest in the world. That river is so important to the forest and the forest to the river. And they have a communication, uh, the forest and the river, that we don't hear it so much now, that we don't understand it, is, uh, it says more about us than it does about the river or the forest. Deborah Cheatham, welcome to The Rising Podcast. Daniel, it is so lovely to be speaking to you today. I'm so honoured as a descendant of the Yorta Yorta and the Yuan people to be creating this work on the land of the Bunwarang and the Woiwurrung people of the Eastern Kulin Nations and to be able to draw energy from their two great water sources, the Marabarang and the Birarang. Well, tell us a little bit about the what we hear. Um, how do you articulate the voice of these rivers, the, the Yarra and the Maribyrnong? You'll hear the human voice in every conceivable form that you could imagine. These compositions are built on a foundation of humanity, and that is our voice. But they are amplified not only by the mechanism of the technology that's used, but by the river itself. We know as First Nations people, that to sing alongside the river was a great means of communicating, like telegraphing a message. Uh, Rivers are great um, amplifiers in themselves of sound. And so when you bring these multi-layered compositions that are all built on human voice, that are all built on breath, and you marry them with these two incredible sources, these bodies of water, uh, it creates a composition that you couldn't actually achieve anywhere else. No concert hall could be the equal of the locations that have been chosen for the River Sings project.
I just hope to be as truthful, as honest, as respectful as I can be on someone else's country. Uh, and in order to do that, really what I've had to do is bring my own spirituality to the process and to say this is how I encounter these these bodies of water as a visitor. I, I find that that's a useful position to take, Daniel, uh, you know, not only in this project but in many other instances where I am either performing or composing a new piece of music or whatever the activity happens to be, I I found it very useful to help people to understand that I I too have been a visitor in my own culture and in the culture of other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and that that process of being a visitor comes with certain uh, duties and responsibilities and that as a member of the Stolen Generations, I've had a much longer journey to 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 be able to understand what those what those duties and responsibilities are. But uh, having come to a certain point where i'm I'm more confident in those responsibilities, those duties of care, I can now talk about uh, how the spirituality of another another group of people, another nation can speak to me as I go about my day-to-day life on this country. I think it's important, Deborah, to kind of point out, you know why rivers are so evocative. I mean, they're incredible bodies of water, but as Aboriginal people, we derive so much cultural and spiritual meaning from those bodies of water. Definitely. You know, the first word that I ever learned in my in my own language, in the language of my mother, of my grandmother, my great-grandmother, of course, that's Yorta Yorta language. The very first word I ever learned was Dangala, which is the name of the Murray River as it flows through Yorta Yorta country. It's been called Dangala for more than 60,000 years. And I remember Artie Lillian teaching me that word for the first time. And she said to me, you must always speak this word gently and with great respect. So for for me, there's been such a very strong connection with the river of my ancestors uh, in this particularly in this last decade but I'll tell you something Daniel the rivers have called to me all of my life it took me a long time to hear them uh, but once I did hear their song uh, I was so much richer for having heard it and I could never want to and I never could unhear those songs talking about the the rivers sing of course but I want to just kind of uh, go back to something you said there about the song of the river but I think also in 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 the rivers sing you talk about the voice of the Yarra and the Maribyrnong so they almost have it there's almost a sense of personhood 
uh, those rivers have a voice. Yeah, they do. Uh, everything in nature has a voice. We like to think as human beings in the 21st century that that we alone have language and voice and that's what sets us apart from the rest of the organic and living world but everything has a voice and I think what's changed for us in this 21st century is that we don't have the means to hear those voices often or in fact those voices are being drowned out by just so much white noise, quite literally, and uh, figuratively as well. The ancestors that I speak of on the banks of the Dangala had sung their songs, conducted ceremony, danced their dances, painted their knowledge all along the side that river. That river system as it flows through the Barma Forest, which is really the lungs of, of Victoria, the largest river red gum forest in the world. That river is so important to the forest and the forest to the river. And they have a communication, uh, the forest and the river, that we don't hear it so much now, that we don't understand it. Is uh, It says more about us than it does about the river or the forest. Yeah, I mean, just the, just those words that you use, the lungs, um, you know, we do think about, um, you know, our waterways, those, those bodies of water, they're sacred to us as blackfellas. Hmm. We do conceive of them as almost like a body. They have a personhood. Yeah, well, they are sacred to us, but um, here's a news flash: They're sacred to everyone. It's just that we recognise that they're sacred. Uh, actually, it's one of the things that really struck me in the, in the um, in the research for the rivers sing. One of the most valuable conversations I had, and there've been many over these eighteen months, but one of the most valuable conversations was with Auntie Carolyn Briggs about the course of the various rivers that flow through Bunwarang and Woiwarang country. Uh, and how they've been altered and what the consequences are and just the really empowered way that Auntie Carolyn speaks about returning those those watercourses to their to their natural directions their natural flow and it's a thought that hadn't even ever occurred to me you know uh, that that we could champion uh, the rights of the rivers to have their natural courses of course, the Birrarung River of Mist. Um, you were talking there about the, you know, this tendency to change the course of bodies of water, which has happened not just in Melbourne but in many other parts of Australia. But that that act of of you know you know, diverting that ancient waterfall around kind of that area of Prince's Bridge. Mm, mm. Uh, that's an act of, of, of ex, you know, extraordinary cultural vandalism. It was cultural vandalism and also uh, it was an act of violence 
against nature, probably one of the earliest ones on the lands of the Eastern Kulin Nation. Violence against people had already begun. It was already being enacted against the Bunwarang and the Woiwarang and the other members of the of the uh, well, it began in Portland actually with the Gunditjmara people, but by the time it had come to the Eastern Kulin Nations, uh, the population was so diminished at that time, uh, it was already one of the great genocides that the world has ever witnessed in terms of the percentage of lives lost. But the blowing up of the Yara, and Yara meaning waterfall, the blowing up of that, that waterfall, that filtration system, was a great act of violence against the environment. And I think it set a course for what colonisation would would ultimately come to mean for almost two centuries. And I think uh, it all began with the blowing up of that of that waterfall uh, to make you know a larger space for the for the uh, for the ships arriving to have a bit of a turning circle. What a pathetic excuse for uh, environmental vandalism. Incredibly violent act of colonialism. Imagine what that would have sounded like, Daniel. Well, I can't. To the Eastern Kulin Nations. You know, I wrote a work about eight years ago now uh, for the Federation Bells, which are in, uh, are in the park above uh, Birarang Ma. And uh, it was all about that moment of collision of of environmental vandalism, of blowing up that waterfall and turning the entire Birarang into this brown sort of mess. Uh, the water muddied beyond recognition, not able to sustain the kind of life it all, always had. Uh, it was a calamitous time and I wanted to capture that with the with the bells that are in that park. And I think even now with this with this new work the river sings i i can't ignore what is no longer there sounds an odd thing to say but for me the absence of that filtration of water via the means of the waterfall or the yara uh the absence of that sound it leaves a gaping hole in my own spirituality when i walk on that country I, I grieve for that. I grieve for the loss of that. And you'll hear in this new composition, The River Sing, you'll hear a longing, but you'll also hear a resilience and a rising, well, if I can use the word rising, as it is the name of the festival, but you will hear this ascendant power that comes from the music because those rivers continue to sing an altered song. The people who've lived here all along continue to hear that song and connect to it in their own way. And as a visitor to these lands, as a Yorta Yorta woman walking on Bunwarang and Woiwarang country, uh, it is my duty of care to set enough aside, uh, set, set aside enough time 
energy space in my own life to be able to hear what song is being sung by the rivers, what have the ancestors poured into these rivers, uh, what of their knowledge is still carried, what of their memory is still carried by these rivers. And that's what I've tried to do in these last 18 months, spend my time in the places that are so very altered now but still have the strength of these ancient rivers flowing through them. I do remember a story one, I'm not sure if it was a Woiwurrung or a Bunwurrung language specialist, told me that the, the word for hair, yara, is the same as the river. And the idea was that the river, when it was in flow, and perhaps they were talking about the waterfall itself, it, it, it resembled, you know, human hair, like the, the cascade of, of human hair. And I'm just, I want to go back to that idea of personhood. I know that in, in Aotearoa, in New Zealand, they have... Basically, rivers have the status of, of, of people. You can't harm them. You can't destroy them. You can't pollute them. I mean, it's happening. We know that it's happening. But the spirit, the spirit of the law um, in Maori culture is that the river, the river has personhood. The river is sacred. And we've moved so... It, yeah, it seems like we... That's a way of thinking that just doesn't exist in this country. Well, it still exists within our First Nations cultures. But unfortunately, in, in the culture of uh, ruthless and aggressive colonisation that the British enacted around the world, personhood was no guarantee. And, and so, so little was thought of human life uh, that... Even if even if these rivers had the status of a person, I don't think the the hybrid and muddied version of uh, that early brutality of the British mentality, I don't think that that would that would protect anything or anyone. Well, it certainly hasn't. What we need to do, what we what we must do, what we must strive towards. And my method for striving is is music and the arts more generally. What we need to strive towards is an understanding of our humanity that is based on meth- of based on a kind of reciprocal relationship with not only each other but with the very environment that we live in, the country that we belong to, and. In peeling back those layers of colonised existence, little by little, we're finding that 
there are generations, more generations living now who are willing to accept and understand the brutality of our shared history, the beginnings of our shared history, the continued brutality. There are more generations living now who understand than the generations who don't understand that it is absolutely fundamental to our survival as a nation to embrace and understand what First Nations people knew all along about how to live here, how to be, ways of knowing and being. And of course, this knowledge of knowing and being was conveyed by means of the arts and in particular music. So it's entirely appropriate that a project of this scope, it's enormous scale, this project, uh, that, that the River Sings project should be a reconnecting of our way of knowing and interpreting the landscape through music because this is the way that all knowledge has been born from generation to generation longer here than anywhere else in the world but certainly at one point or another everywhere else in the world and and where the culture of the British who colonised this country disconnected from the arts as a fundamental way of knowing a long time ago and relegated to the arts uh, relegated the arts to to entertainment or specialist study we as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people know we as people living on the Bunwarang country or the Woiwarang country here in Melbourne know that music is a way of knowing and being and giving meaning to everything. understand that there are many daily iterations of this work so I've heard it described a bit like the ebbing tide so it moves and and changes throughout those daily iterations. As a member of the Yorta Yorta nations nothing would give me greater pleasure than to sing the songs that my great 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 grandmother sang and as we uncover them in time I will sing those songs but at the same time I'm singing my own song my own understanding of the inheritance of my identity as a Yorta Yorta woman the inheritance of my identity as the granddaughter of a Yuan man and my identity as someone who lives on the lands of the Eastern Kulin nations and so we've chosen uh a beautiful part of the day in which to perform most of the works and and I'm talking of course about about sunset uh, that notion of the completion of a day but also the beginning of something entirely new and that is restoration you could interact with it in all seven locations and come to all 30 iterations of the composition and no two will be exactly the same because you are not the same and the day is not the same. And, of course, uh, in this kind of composition, we're able to respond to that 
evolving reality that is our day-to-day existence on the lands of the Eastern Kulin Nations. So is there something that perhaps... Is there, you, you must have learned things about the rivers that you didn't know before, even though you live alongside the, the Birrarung and the Maribyrnong. You know, you've lived in Melbourne for, for some years. But there must have been things that you learned in this process um, about, about them. I did, Daniel. I learned a lot about each of the rivers, some of which I've endeavoured to uh, represent musically, but mostly it was what I learned about myself and my relationship to the river and my need for the river. Uh, my visits to the river became like a kind of a ritual and I think that that's what people will have the opportunity to create for themselves. You see, this is this is not a passive uh, arrangement. You will come to the river or you will encounter the song or the River Sings project in your day-to-day life and you will need to find a place for that in your understanding. Perhaps you will have come to the river to hear Uh, the composition, one of the 30 compositions, or perhaps, as I say, you'll encounter it as you're going about your daily life. But it will be your choice to interact. It will be a a reciprocal arrangement, if you like. And what you bring to it will be your own story, your own experience. But you can actually make this a ritual for yourself, I think we'll be in each place uh, for a couple of days for over the over the three month period, and and all of the locations. Uh, I think you'll have a chance to uh, over three or four days. I think it's three days to come and 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 to experience each of the compositions and allow it to take your imagination where it needs to go allow it to speak to you in the way it needs to speak to you. This is a bringing together experience in a very positive way, in a meaningful and an empowering way, and I hope that people will will, will leave each iteration, each song, uh, with a great sense of anticipation for the next and I hope that they'll follow the journey of the River Sings project along the course of both rivers, and I hope to see everyone uh, at that great confluence of the two rivers as as nature and the built environment speak to one another and find a common language that is for our benefit and for our future as a society here on the lands of the Eastern Kulin Nation. The Rising Podcast is created by Litmus Media 
on the land of the Bunwurrung and Wurundjeri people. It's produced by me, Mahmoud Fazal. The assistant producer is Daniel Stewart, and the editor is Eugene Yang. You can listen at litmus.media or wherever you get your podcasts. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.